two o'clock. Now, there's no doubt about it, but when the majority of us go for clothes shopping, we are always on the lookout for a real bargain. But do we ever actually think about where that item of clothing has come from and how many people were involved in making it? the conditions in which they worked? Well, this is now something that we really should be thinking about. My guest in the studio did just that, and she's a bit of a mover and shaker in the textile industry. From her university days, she was focused on the concept of transparent clothing, and she has since made steps to make sure that the industry is more sustainable and happy across the board. Let me welcome Marion Hughes, CEO and founder of No Global. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. <laughs> Lovely to have you on. And um, I, always, I always say that I I kind of bump into my guests and I did literally but I yeah. bumped into, into Marion and we started talking and she was telling me about her work. Now Marion, before anything else, mm. tell me a little bit about the, this whole kind of interest in the whole textile area. Now it started at university so tell me a little bit yeah. of background on your interest. Yeah well I came to study at HKU, uh, University of Hong Kong for a year and then I got really into you know where is our clothing coming from, why am I so disconnected you know. Mm. And it was just coming over to the East and realising that our way of consuming fashion in the West is completely unsustainable. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't know who's making our clothes and how they're being made. Mm -hmm. And you did, a, you did a specific project at university where you did some research into some yeah. of these things. So what did you find from that? Well, in university I was researching how can consumers find out more about where products are coming from and does that actually affect their willingness to buy a product, right? Because mm -hmm. all these brands are saying, you know, consumers want ethical, they want sustainable, but actually when it comes down to paying, often consumer decisions don't reflect that, right? Which mm -hmm. we all know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I just got deeper and deeper and I was like, look, if that isn't the problem right now, what is the problem? Mm -hmm. The problem is finding out what is actually happening with the workers who make our clothes. Um, step one, because the brands aren't actually aware. So how can consumers be aware? Mm -hmm. So um, this whole uh, this whole thing about say transparent clothes, we're not talking like tissue made. Or <laughs> we're talking yeah. about really it's it's similar to food, I suppose, isn't it? In terms of mm. when we when we get some salmon or we get something, we now want to know where is that salmon coming from? Where, where's mm. the source of it? Who dealt with it? From every you know, it's a whole blockchain yeah, exactly. thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that is what you wanted to do, isn't it? To actually go back and look at the whole chain, mm. uh, the supply chain, and see what was going on. So what did you find? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, what I found basically is that the information we have isn't reliable, you know, like even mm -hmm. the blockchain only relies on the quality of data you have to put on it, right? Mm -hmm. And I realized we don't have quality data. So that's where I then got right into the heart of the supply chain, visiting, you know, hundreds of factories across Asia, um, traveling to China, India, Myanmar, just to the point that I actually worked in a factory. So I made 2000 trousers a day, sat <laughs> on the line, sewing, chatting to the workers, going for lunch, going for dinner, really wow. getting ingrained. Wow. And so what did you pick up through that? Uh, picked up, like, all the issues that actually going through my head weren't what I would think okay. going through my head when I was a consumer, you know? And actually I realised we're all human, right, on a fundamental level. And the things going through my head when I was on the line making those trousers were very similar to the things that any of us face, you know? And it's not like highbrow, like, you know... Um, official formal things which are also important you know like the serious stuff like harassment and fire and the very serious things which we also care about but also the things like you know is there a clean place to eat my lunch mm -hmm. is there a clean bathroom mm -hmm. and actually the reality is the answer to those questions is a lot of the time no yeah and so if you can't even access basic things how can you be productive at work mm. and it is all to do with you know how happy people are but I mean yeah. we we've heard there's been a lot in the press um, you know within the last couple of years with factories and 
you know, fires and factories and conditions. And it seems mm. as if these things happen, but there's not really any great investigations that are done into these things. It's just almost mm. like you kind of say, oh, yeah, well, that's just where there, you know, there's no real standards there. So is that something mm. that you want to change? Yeah, well, standards have changed a lot. And like standards and the whole process of like an expert going into a factory and viewing, like those have developed a lot since like the famous Rana Plaza fire when over a thousand people died in Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what really instigated me. But since then, like there has been a lot of progress in setting new standards and getting brands to collaborate on those standards. But what I still felt was missing was that real time, immediate feedback. Because what happened in that fire is that actually workers tried to report it before it happened mm-hmm. and nobody, you know, was able to listen to them. Oh. And The whole channel of communication yeah. wasn't there. And so that's why I said about saying, you know, let's use the worker as a voice into what's happening on the ground at any time, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't send in an expert more than once a year. Yeah. But the workers are there 24-7 and they're seeing what's happening. Mm. So now, then you decided, and that's where this whole thing about the app was concerned. Yeah, that, that yeah. That came up. So, yeah. so tell me about the app. What exactly is it all about? Yeah. Well, I started from the point of experimenting a lot with how can I know how the worker's feeling, right? Like, I didn't necessarily pin myself to the idea of an app, but just the way of finding out how do I get them to be honest with me? You're how just looking for a channel there, Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, uh-huh. exactly. So that's why I started by talking to the workers myself and being the communication channel myself, right? Right. To say, if I give them free reign, how would they tell me things? And how do I understand that? And then I actually experimented with a lot of different, you know, statistical ways of measuring happiness or, like, things you could put in the environment or the atmosphere that would automatically track these things. Um, looking at AI and all these things. Then mm-hmm. I realised that it actually has to be something very simple and scalable, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about thousands of factories, millions of workers, and billions of people want to go outside of China. Mm-hmm. How can I reach them, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's where the idea of an app and actually mobile adoption at this level um, is growing. And so we've designed the tool to be simple, which actually is the hardest thing to do, actually coming from a massive goal of tracking happiness, which all of us wonder about every day, right? How do I know if I'm happy or not? (laughs) And bringing it down to something which actually can be quite concrete. Um, So yeah, the app does that now. So for instance, if I was say working in one of these factories, then is it um, that you hand over a mobile or there is a designated place that they can go or mm. what, what do they, how do they kind of connect and what would I do? Like say, for instance, I am working. Mm. How is that going to affect me? What can I put in there? How do I do it? Say if I yeah. don't, maybe I don't, you know, it may be that somebody cannot read maybe. Mm. So wh- how is it put together then? Yeah, so we have to be um, adaptive, actually, because every factory is different. Mm-hmm. But basically, we're deciding to focus on China because smartphone adoption is high right now. Right. Um, and we're using a combination of WeChat and our own uh, app. And so basically, workers do a weekly survey, which gets them used to the idea of actually reporting and giving feedback mm-hmm. and gives us like a consistent data set. And then also, at any time, workers can make an alert. So they can actually just chat to us at any time, um, or they can make an anonymous alert as well. Um, so they can report anything from something quite, you know, daily daily life to something quite serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen amazing results in terms of workers trusting us quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's been a major achievement. Wow, uh, for that's us. great. Because mm-hmm. I suppose they're, they're, if there's anything that's going to make their lives easier, they would be happy to try and, and yeah. work with you on it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, um, so for instance, of, you know, to give me a, a, an idea as to how many places have got this now in terms of factories, are we talking hundreds? Are we talking 10, 15? What are we looking at? Yeah, well, we've got the app. 
Yeah, I'm currently under an NDA, but we have signed um, one of the top retailers in America as a paying customer. Mm -hmm. And that gives us access to 2,000 factories and a million workers. Wow, and, and that's so where, where here? In, you in know, China. China? Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. my So goodness. the next year is going to be quite explosive for us in terms of growth. So how do you monitor? I mean, if you're saying that they can send you an alert and stuff, you do you have a massive team who's looking at that? I mean, I would assume mm. that if you've got thousands of factories who are going to be giving you this data... Mm you know, that means the onus is on you to collate this and then suddenly sit up when there is an alert. How do yeah, you do yeah, it? Yeah. How do you manage yeah. that? Yeah, um, well, we've actually started that by working with partners um, as well. But now we do have a community management team, basically. So they actually manage all the worker forums and feedback, um, which also involves like engaging the workers and sharing the positive stories as well as listening to them, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm now hiring for that role as well um, mm -hmm. as the team is growing. So, Great. yeah, it's just like working out a way to scale it. But uh, we know that we need a combination of, you know, humans also talking to workers whilst also using technology to make it scalable. Mm -hmm. So it's that careful balance, really. Mm. And what's the feedback like? Obviously, there's good support in terms of people who are in these factories who want some feedback who want to see a change yeah but how about sort of the big corporates like these obviously you're saying that one has invested and stuff but was that difficult to get them to, on board with this whole project yeah I mean so we've got different brands um, getting involved um, and I've got a background in this field of like corporate social responsibility so mm -hmm. like I knew that I needed to, you know, get experience of working with these big companies and pitching to them. So, you know, that has taken years to build that skill set. So mm -hmm. it's not been easy for sure. Um, but surrounding myself with the right mentors and people and just finished the China Accelerator program in um, China. And they were recently ranked as the second uh, top startup investor in the in the world and accelerator program mm -hmm. so just finished that three-month program in shanghai and that was amazing for really connecting us with the right knowledge especially like pitching to b2b mm -hmm. and things what's the moment what was what has been the most challenging part of it obviously this is some of the mm. stuff you've, you've just mentioned but for you yeah. on your kind of day where you just thought oh my goodness i don't know whether i can do this was there a day like that and what oh, was yeah. the challenge yeah i mean i go through those cycles every day to be honest <laughs> <laughs> i think we all do actually, yeah yeah, yeah exactly and so, i think when you're running a startup it's just like more exemplified because you feel so responsible you know mm, mm. and I think my biggest challenge actually has been more like personal reflection I think these things don't get talked about enough like mm -hmm. there's so many formulas to how you can build a business but why does it still not work right yeah and a big lesson for me is been stripping back my ego right accepting those things I don't know and asking for help yeah. and I think it's too easy to fall into a bubble where you think you know I'm an entrepreneur I'm a founder I've got to do this all you know it's nice to have the title yeah. but you've got to live it don't yeah yeah, you? yeah exactly <laughs> and to be honest I think you know you just got to strip back and actually say look I need to get the right people in to plug and help me uh, you know grow this even bigger yeah so but yeah. I mean you know it is it is a good field to be in, but like you are probably um, one of the few in terms of women in tech. So yeah. is that another ambition of yours to try and encourage more, empower more women to yeah. come forward? Yeah, well, I always tell this story because um, when I started this company, I never actually identified myself as female, really. I just did it. Yeah. And yeah. I think part of it is actually my mother is from Finland. And Finland have been in the news so much recently about all their, you know, strong female leaders, youngest female prime minister in the world right now, right? Uh -huh, yeah. And it's just ingrained in the culture that women are equal and you don't kind of question these things so much. Uh -huh. And then when people started asking me a couple of years ago, you know, what's it like being a woman in tech? I was like, what do you mean? I haven't you know, thought about I'm it. I'm just in tech. <laughs> yeah. um, and then actually now I do realise I have a responsibility. And actually, you know, I'm sharing a lot more through my channels and experience about 
what it's been like. And yes, there are challenges that I mm. wouldn't face if I was male. Mm. And that's frustrating sometimes, mm. you know. Do you find that when you're travelling around and things like that? And generally, yeah. I suppose if you were to walk into a factory, um, I, I, I assume quite a few of the factory workers are probably women anyway. So yeah, it's actually yeah, quite yeah, exactly. nice to see you there. Yeah. But... Um, you know, in terms of encouraging other women to come forward in tech, do you see that there's a little lack of confidence there, that they don't step forward? Yeah, sometimes. I think it's definitely a male-dominated industry globally. But to be honest, I found China to be really progressive. And I lived in Shenzhen for a while and found that, you know, walking into meetings or pitches, actually, like, there wasn't so much stigma about it. And there's a lot of very successful female business owners in China. Um, so that's been really interesting for me and sometimes mm. surprising. Um and in a factory level, like, there's actually, like, women in management as well. Um, and 80% of female, 80% uh, of workers across the supply chain in fashion are female, actually. Mm -hmm. So, well, yeah, I get to relate to them a lot, I guess. Yeah. So, mm. it, going back, I mean, was this um, the whole interest in textile and tech, obviously, mm. where, when would you say that started for you? Was it a question at an early age? I mean, that's, um, obviously you were, you were engrossed in it in university, but mm. is that something in your school days and things that you were conscious of that, hang on, because it's, you know, now everyone I think has, certainly the majority of people have an awareness of the yeah. environment and sustainability and things, but yeah. where did that come from for you? Yeah, well, I think I didn't recognise it, but it was probably my upbringing because I grew up in an, in an area that was so different from Hong Kong, right? So in mm -hmm. the middle of nowhere. Like literally, we were like in the middle of just fields. Like you look out the window, you don't see anything, just fields, right? Okay. And so I grew up, you know, very much on, I think, like, you know, a good diet of, you know, eating vegetables and locally sourced food, just because that's all I could actually access. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I moved to the big cities and I came to Hong Kong, I was just so shocked that people were so detached from where things came from. Yeah. So I think I've just brought that perspective now into the fashion industry and really thought, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. I've got to find out who's making this stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got quite a, a number of walls there, a number of hurdles that you've got to cross because, as I said earlier on, that, you know, when people go out shopping, they're, yeah. they're looking for just cheap stuff, aren't, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, And that cheap stuff is coming from these factories yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Where, where conditions are bad. But yeah. how do we change that whole attitude, you know, the culture that we live in? Mm. What do we do? What's the kind of basic things we need to do? Yeah. Obviously, away. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Well, that was me, to be honest. Like, I was shopping in London on the high street, buying yeah, all these, you yeah. know, cut price, discount, you know, chasing after the sh sales. And, you know, it's part of the culture now, mm. isn't it? And it's hard mm. to get away from it. And I think that's where, actually, my perspective now is that we can't place so much responsibility on the consumer. It's more like, what options can we give them so that, by default, the things they're shopping for are sourced well? Mm. Um, because I did this whole consumer angle, and I started a blog, and I was writing, you know... Yeah, you've ended up doing a lot of writing as yeah, well, yeah, haven't yeah. you? So I accidentally kind of became a journalist because I was writing about this stuff when no one else was. And I was talking very honestly, you know, um, asking the own questions to myself. Like, so I started buying secondhand a lot. I actually went through about a year where I didn't buy any new clothing. Mm. And to be honest, I still don't buy new mm. clothing hardly. Everything I'm wearing, this I'm wearing is secondhand, actually. My friend gave it to me recently. Great. And it's just about buying pieces that I love, though, if I do buy something. Yeah. Um, and I know that I'll wear it for years to that's come. That's right. There's I all think, these kind of things you can yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mm. think that's what we need to really think about instead of going, oh, I just feel like I'll buy this or buy this. But yeah. just buy one or two of those things and the rest of it just... You don't have to have a lot yeah. in your wardrobe. I yeah, want yeah, to speak. Yeah. I should check out my wardrobe too. But, <laughs> we're all guilty. You know, and we're all guilty of it and stuff. So now, yeah. what, are, what are your ambitions now in terms of what would you like to see with your business? Obviously, you'd like 
loads of factories to be mm. looking at this mm. and, and trying that app and things mm. like that. So what's your sort of ideal wish now that you yeah. have in your mind? Well, I think it's like I have a vision which is very big about this company. Like I do see every major brand in the world using it. I know that might sound ridiculous, but I think that's the only option. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to urgently create a standard for the world's biggest brands to actually know what's happening in our supply chains. And if we don't, the result is just epidemic. We all know that now. I don't need mm-hmm. to argue that point, you know. Mm-hmm. Are these large companies, these large corporates and stuff, you know, obviously there's some supporting you. But mm-hmm. what are the main um, things that some of these companies are hesitant to you know they don't want they don't come forward and they don't want to do it is mm. it because they will some things will be revealed in terms of the background of some of mm. these uh, these textiles or what what is the main fear that they have yeah that definitely is a fear that you know there's so much that we don't know that it's like okay when we know it then what next you know yeah, yeah. um but the way we phrase it is that you know we're a solutions focused company and whilst we do show you what's happening we also help you look at how can we resolve it right that's the result we want for me, the end result isn't the brands using it. It's the brands and the factories changing things, right? It's like stage one for me is awareness, stage two is change, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the hardest thing because it actually does require other people to also be on board with it, right? Mm. Um, and what are the cost implications of the, say, you know, what mm. what has it taken to actually produce this app? Because I assume some of this takes a lot of research, takes teamwork uh, Mm. to put it together. Mm. And then what is the end result in terms of people, um, you know, companies taking it on? What does that mean in terms of money for them? Yeah. So, yeah, we have had some initial investment from um, really inspiring leaders in the field and uh, companies, UK government and uh, this VC, SOSV. Um, And then in terms of cost, um, factories and brands pay. So factories will pay per factory and, um, no, brands will pay per factory. I mean, is that quite a lot? I mean, I I have no idea as to costs and things like that, but is it a substantial amount of cost for Uh, them? It comes down to $2 per worker per month. So it scales up depending on how big the factory is. Right, Um, which is not a lot, really. If you look at it in the bigger, in the big picture of things, it's not very much. So I've done that on purpose because I do want this to be accessible to, you know, whatever factories are in a brand's control and we're talking to brands that have you know thousand plus suppliers Mm. so yeah and and just uh, out of interest like you know in all this time you've been saying that you know uh, you get alerts has there been a situation while this app has been active now in Mm. in some of these places where you think that you have actually prevent this is a lot to do with crisis management really isn't mm, it yeah, where yeah. you say prevented something happening because you got hold of it before you put preventive me- measures across and you've stopped it from happening can you think mm. of an example tell me yeah we have had an example actually i mean there was a situation where a worker was being like physically abused by one of their managers um and before we had come in they obviously wouldn't have had any way to share this because how would you share this with your manager if they were the one doing it right Mm -hmm. um and their option would have been to leave the factory and what we did is that the worker came reported to us so they trusted us enough to share this Mm -hmm. and then we actually verified if this was happening to other workers or if it was just that worker Mm -hmm. and because we were able to prove that actually, how do you do that how do you do uh, that discreetly not through the app but actually going to the factory oh no we do that through the app actually okay so we can actually push questions to workers based on feedback we're getting from other workers okay um so we're developing ai increasingly that that all of this can be automated and so basically we were able to then go to the factory and say look we've had this number of workers reporting this challenge about this manager um, and we were actually able to offer them training through a partner mm-hmm. so the factory acknowledged this issue they acknowledged it was serious enough that they needed to do something about it 
and um, they're now paying for training for it. Wow. So they're trained this line manager. Um, and line manager uh, communication is actually one of the top things that we get complaints about from workers because often line managers have come from a being a worker themselves and they're just um, promoted to being a manager, right? Mm -hmm. But they might not be trained on those soft skills and so they end up shouting at workers just because there's so much pressure in a factory, right? Mm. And also other reasons, and you know, it's just about also for me, I think, reflecting on how human they are, right? Yeah. And not just punishing people, but giving them the chance to improve. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Any other mm. examples? Oh, this is, I mean, you, you're obviously doing the job with the app and it's working. Oh, thanks. You know? Yeah. It's, that's great. How about like the whole communication aspect in the app? Like we are talking different languages. How, what about if people can't read or write or mm. whatever, how, how does the app, is it through pictures? Yeah. And yeah, good do? question. Yeah. Well, the surveys are, yeah, it's based on like a smiley face format. So it's really okay. simple, as I say. So okay. it's just like a simple question, three a week, and you tap a smiley face, red, amber, green. Um, and then also we're looking at like, can we record questions so that you can just like listen if you can't read? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, this is where we've obviously as a startup had to focus on one specific audience and cater to that. But now we're looking at, okay, like how can we address other audiences who maybe can't read or who can't access what we're doing. So, mm. so it's just yeah. very much in the evolutionary stage at the moment in terms of just adapting mm. it and based yeah. on, but it obviously it's working. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, out yeah, there yeah. and yeah, using yeah, yeah, it, yeah. but obviously uh, yeah, you're getting yeah, yeah. feedback and you're changing it to it and yeah. adapting it to the yeah. needs of people. Well, I think we'll always be evolutionary. And yeah. That's a big lesson for me as a company leader, you know, that we always need to be encouraging the team to rethink things. Mm -hmm. um, and these are really interesting models that I've learned from, you know, very successful entrepreneurs that you always need to keep evolu evolution, mm. right? <laughs> you need to keep developing. Um, I mean, there's no yeah. end to it, really, and no end to learning, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. Great. I'm always learning. So um, <laughs> last thing, let me just ask you, if you're going to give mm. it any advice, you've obviously, you know, got this startup and you're successfully doing this. What's the bit of advice that you would give to anybody who's who's got a startup or is thinking of going into business? Now, they could mm. be a woman, mm. um, it could be a man, whatever. What's the key advice that you would give? You've got like 20 seconds, 30 <laughs> seconds. Um, I just say get started. I mm -hmm. think too often we think, oh, this is too big or it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But you can do one thing today to get started. Mm -hmm. And it might sound really silly, but I think for me it was just, you know, sending an email out to a potential uh, person with a question, right? Mm -hmm. Just saying, you know, what are your challenges? What are your problems? Trying to understand get who you're trying moving. to help. Yeah. yeah good yeah. listen thank you so much uh, yeah, for you. coming in today yeah, and it's been absolutely fantastic marion hughes <laughs> ceo of and founder of no global thank you very thank much you.